from the former convent at Good Shepherd overlooking the farmer's market and the park here at Inwood in New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we affectionately call upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we welcome filmmaker Stephen Bernison. Stephen is an independent filmmaker and video production professional based here in Washington Heights. He currently serves as head of post-production at Red Summit Productions, having created content for clients such as PayPal, Mars, and Walmart. His upcoming narrative short, Beautiful Strokes, was a 2020 recipient of the Inwood Film Festival Filmmaker Fund. His first play, Cross Stitch Bandits, co-written with his fiancée, Sanam Leila Hashimi, and developed under the mentorship of David Lindsay Abair, will make its world premiere at Cadence Theatre Company in this coming June in 2022. We're going to talk about that and so much more, but first, Stephen, let me welcome you to the podcast. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. I'm sure I'm like the hundredth person to say this, but you have an incredible voice for podcasting. Well, thank you very much. I immediately was brought into the world. <laughs> just like, remember, Stephen, you're a participant. You can't just listen to me, okay? I was I was listening to you, but I was also like preparing myself to try to match the yeah the weight of your voice. Well, incredible. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, um, my phone number is if you want to hire me <laughs> yeah. is this for any kind of commercial or voiceover work. I'll take it. Um, thank you. Much appreciated. Of course. Uh, so I want to dive in right away uh, and tell, I want you to tell us about your latest film project, Beautiful Strokes. What sparked the idea for it? Uh, Beautiful Strokes was, uh, the idea for Beautiful Strokes came from a game of tennis with some friends back in Lynchburg, Virginia. And one of my friends referred to Pete Sampras as Pete Sampras. And I just thought that was hilarious. And I carried a little note in my phone around for a few years and thought about what it could mean and how it could be a movie. And it actually originally was going to be like a Freaky Friday kind of movie where Pete Sampras is trapped in the body of this kind of like nobody named Pete Sampras. I still love that idea, but I couldn't crack it. I couldn't figure out how to make it. So um, I changed it to being just a guy named Pete Sampras who just happens to be obsessed with Pete Sampras for his entire life and kind of explored the difference between someone who's born as a Pete Sampras and someone who's born as a Pete Sampras and how you grapple with expectations and maybe not achieving all of the goals that you thought you'd achieve. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just came from one of my friends saying Pete Sampras instead of Pete Sampras. <laughs> well, and I'm sure uh, checking Sampras's uh, shooting schedule must have been tough too to get him available for your Freaky Friday project. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, actually at the time I had a friend who uh, I think his parents were members at the Greenbrier in West Virginia, oh, sure, yeah. where Pete Sampras. Yeah. I spent time in West he, Virginia. I know okay. it is, yeah. And he plays, I think he plays charity matches there. So there was a, a time, a short time where I was like, can I get in? Can I make this happen? Yeah. Like even if I had a few shots of him um, looking up at the sky as if he's looking for like a UFO, because the idea was while Sampras is trapped in Sampras' body, obviously there's this something who is inhabiting Pete Sampras. And if I could get a shot of him looking a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. But I failed. <laughs> it oh, didn't wow. happen. Well, you haven't just made it happen yet. It could be the, another project. Yeah. But, but that's awesome. Um, well, I think it's really it's an interesting show. Um, I've seen a rough cut. I won't lie to people. Um, and um, 
like you're saying, I, I, I love the idea of how exploring of like um, aspirational life, right? Mm-hmm. You, you aspire to in your life. So, so the character explores this. But I need to ask you, as the filmmaker, have you been focused on this particular, you know, part of the gateway to making the film? Is that the obsession of Pete Sampras? Um, it's why him, not the flashier Andre Agassi. Or you know the Monica Sellis, the you know, the headline grabbing ones, mm-hmm. um, and obviously thank you for the story about your friend though that's awesome that how art imitates life and vice versa kind of maybe, um, uh, but uh, he's not so well not, he's not so well known amongst like the you know the the, the outside of tennis people you know mm-hmm. what I mean like People Magazine doesn't really cover him like they would for Agassi or Monica Sellis or back in the day of getting you know the the big huge headlines, even though maybe one of the most accomplished tennis players ever. So yeah. I was just curious um, about the, the choice of Sampras. Like you, you didn't uh, use, you could, you, cause you could have done the same thing for Agassi or mm-hmm. Celis or somebody else like that too. I definitely had to reverse engineer it because yeah. obviously the story I told you, the name was Sampras. Um, but I think it did. Um, it was in line with the, the character of Pete Sampras being so obsessed and so serious about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think he even mentions in the film uh, that Agassi was fast and colorful right. and Sampras was powerful and economical. Um, so I think it kind of mirrors um, his character in that he's just so serious yeah. about his pursuit of being great, even though he's clearly not. And Sampras was kind of a good role model, somebody to aspire to be like. It's interesting, the choice of obsessions. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what people get hung up on. Oh, 100%. I mean, it definitely came from... Uh, baseball. I played baseball for like 15, 16 years. Did and you play in college? I played club baseball sure. at Virginia Tech. Okay. Um, but it was one of those things where I was like a stereotypical tryhard, didn't have a lot of talent, wanted it so bad. Um, so that's probably where a lot of the heart of the story came from. It's just okay. like growing up, doing this one thing, pouring hours and hours and hours into it. And then like in the back of your brain, knowing that it's probably not going to happen for you, but you just want it so badly. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where, uh, Sampras is at. He's just, he's in so deep and he's just, it is, it's, it's true because it's his entire life. He's been doing it. Wow. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I believe all the best art comes from a very personal place and, um, it's an interesting conversation to have with yourself. I know I've had it with myself in my career about, you know, the crossroads in your life, right? Like when you come to something and when you want something so bad, whatever that is, if, if you're trying to be a baseball player, if you're trying to be, I don't know, a lawyer or um, a CPA or mm-hmm. whatever goal someone's trying to reach in a, in a career path, uh, an achievable career path, and it may not be turning out the way they want it to, uh, and having that kind of like heart-to-heart with yourself, yeah. you can still appreciate baseball, obviously. Um, or maybe you don't because you didn't achieve, you didn't get where you wanted to, and so oh, then you no. then you turn then you turn you know totally the opposite direction <laughs> still. and curse the gods. I don't know. Yes, but, definitely still love it. Well, me too. Yeah, Who's your team? I've always been a Cardinals fan, but oh. since moving here, I'm trying my best to cheer for the Mets, but they make it. It's very difficult. So difficult. Yeah. Ken, our <laughs> technical just... director, and I go to at least one Reds Mets game because I'm from Cincinnati. Okay. And so I'm a diehard. I grew up with the Reds, uh, so I'm. That's my team. But, uh, yeah, um, tell you what, yeah, the Mets make it very difficult. And I, same as you, like, I try to root for the Mets when they're not playing the Reds. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, I just, yeah, it's, boy, they they sure know how to challenge us, yeah. right? <laughs> that's a double whammy. I mean, the Reds have been, they made it a little interesting recently, but that's yes. a lot of heartbreak. It's been a lot of one, heartbreak for, for one a person. while. It is, well, <laughs> story book. Get to know me. <laughs> anyway, um, enough about means, but uh, anyway, um, I also briefly mentioned you work in post-production. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really says something that you're willing to embark on a new project when you're so deeply steeped in other people's work uh, to make this happen. Um, so, uh, and obviously, hopefully you're able to, hopefully, are you able to leverage some resources to, to help create your own work from your production company or do you have to go out on your own and hopefully you can be able to, you know, yeah. share some of the resources there. I mean, I have, I built a computer that I use for work and that's good for video games and it's good for editing films. So, um, I haven't really had a chance to leverage quote unquote resources from red summit for future projects mm-hmm. or for projects yet, but, um, I think I will. Um, but yeah, going back to your original question of, um, balancing personal work and having a lot of other people's projects. It's like definitely very difficult. The last thing you want to do at the end of the day is, uh, stay inside of Adobe premiere. <laughs> uh, so definitely had to force myself to do a lot of, uh, long sessions for beautiful strokes to get it done. Cause yeah, yeah it's not what you want to do at the end of the day. No, no. Yeah. And, but also speaks to the passion you have for your project as well though. Yeah. Which is no, great. Sure. But yeah, it's, it's hard. It's really hard juggling both, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I can't wait for people to check out Beautiful Strokes. And when we have the forthcoming Inwood Film Festival, which we hope to be announced once uh, the world becomes a little less crazy, um, we will do so. I was going to ask. And uh, nice. yeah, it's uh, well, we're, we, um, the, as in the past, uh, we work with Columbia University to pre- present it at the Campbell Sports Center there on 218 and Broadway. Um, and so we're waiting for the green light from them. Mm. And once we get that, we'll be able to, you know, push it forward. Gotcha. Uh, cause we still feel a virtual festival really does what we do justice. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we're happy to share people's films virtually, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe we do a hybrid version of that. There's, that's not out of the question. Um, but right now, um, to, to, for us, it's really about bringing the community together and celebrating your work and fellow filmmakers work. And, that's amazing. and hopefully, you meet other people who you want to make films with and yeah, it's or, better and it is better. It's just, it's mm. just better. Yeah. <laughs> I just think, uh, 2020, if my memory serves me, I was in Spain when, uh, the festival was supposed to happen and they got canceled. Um, but I, that's when everything mm-hmm. happened and I had to rush back. We actually had to fly back to Canada and then fly to New York from there. But, um, yeah, it just brought me back to that place of when we were supposed to originally have uh, yeah. Dumpling Twice yeah. play in the festival. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. And, and that's what Chris was like. I, I feel like, oh, yeah, we've already shown that movie. No, we haven't shown that movie yet. <laughs> it's like I've seen the movie a million times. And, but um, as I was telling you know, the story earlier uh, to somebody else, um, you know, Ken and I were teching the shows in the auditorium and then the higher-ups at Columbia came in and were like, so we need to talk because the campus is going to be shutting down. And, you know, we could have went forward with the festival maybe in the weekend because it's technically on the athletic campus, not mm. the actual campus campus where the kids, so there's no kids there like that. Um, but we're just, it would have been a bad situation. And we, yeah. we made the right call. Yeah. We all made the right call. Everyone did. It was, 
But uh, it will be it will be happening at some point, and we will let everyone know when that happens. And honestly, it's gonna be like we have like two festivals worth of material, I think. And <laughs> and the thing is, like, I'm hesitant to put out the call for more, you know, work because mm-hmm. it's like we have all this work here still. We haven't shown anybody, <laughs> uh, so it's like ah. We got to get this out of here so yeah. we can open the. Like, I feel like, you know, the door's shut and it's like all these films are like compounding outside. We all let them in. Yeah. Uh, but it'll happen. Nice. We'll make it happen. Um, so, uh, COVID, speaking of, has been a character um, in all our reproductions over the past two years, essentially, um, whether we like it or not. So, uh, I'm curious um, does Beautiful Strokes, as it stands now, resemble the film you set out to make? Hmm. I think it's pretty close. I mean, going back to what I was saying earlier, I could definitely change from early iterations of the script, Mm -hmm. but I think the script that I submitted for the grant, it's pretty close. It's definitely trimmed down for good reason. (laughs) When I got in the post, I was just like, don't need it. Don't need it. Don't need it. Um, but yeah, I think, um, because it's such a small project, it was really just me and a camera and L dad, Pete Sampers. Um, we were able to be um, pretty low key and get most of it done. Yeah. I had to wait for the U.S. Open until this year. I brought my camera. I was really concerned that they weren't going to let me inside to film. And when they opened the bag uh, at security, they were like, "Is this a camera?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they were like, "I'm not touching it." Like they were more concerned about <laughs> potential liability than letting me uh, bring it in. So I brought it in. Wow. Built it just like A7S uh, DSLR, and uh, we filmed there this year. So that did affect us because we had to wait for an yeah. entire year to get those shots of him in the crowd. So Wow. That's great. I didn't know yeah. that. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Real shots. Yeah. They weren't stock footage. He didn't grab them from somewhere else. No. He actually owns the footage. That's pretty impressive actually. Thank you. It's like it's like authorized guerrilla, you know, <laughs> filmmaking in a way. Yeah. And no now permits. it's on now it's on record that I did it, so hopefully it's okay. <laughs> well, well, maybe we'll, maybe this will, we'll cut this in post maybe. Who knows? Um uh, so yeah, you spoke. You got the grant for the film, and so the the whole grant went to it. Like, I, I'm curious. Uh, it's not for me because um, I I want people to know um, how difficult it is to find funding for short films, and um, I always get questions like, "Hey, Aaron, I hear you give out grants." So I'm like, "Well, I don't have it in my other pair of pants, but I do have. We do do a grant for filmmaking." Um, and there apparently aren't a lot of production grants out there for doing that. So what I hear, cause, because what I heard over and over again from people saying, well, I'd like to make this film, but I don't have the money for it. Mm. And I was like, well, then that sucks. So here's some money to go make a film. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the barrier of, like, would this film be made without being funded? Like, would you have found a way... Um, I know it's a hypothetical question now because mm-hmm. it's not in the can almost. Um, but like, like where, if you didn't get the grant, would the film been made? Um, I mean, I'm sure I would have found a way to make it, but I don't think it would have been um, as good as it is. Um, I wouldn't have been able to pay um, that actor for multiple days. I would have done a classic, like we're going to film for 12 or 13 hours in one day and hate each other by the end of the day kind of thing. Here's a happy meal. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then obviously I wouldn't have been able to do cool stuff like go to the U.S. Open and it had to be, we went to like a quarterfinal match where Djokovic was playing because I knew that the crowd would be would be. Packed. Wait a second, use grant funds to go to the U.S. Open? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You could just take me. I mean, gosh. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun day. I bought um, 
ticket for me and for Eldad. And then my boss at Red Summit paid for a ticket for one of our interns. Okay. And she tagged along and kind of like helped me with the gear. Oh, great. And got that experience. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I want people to hear. Thanks for saying that because like that's that's the idea. Is like people, you come to people through of like the crazy things you have to pay for. And every show is different, obviously. Um, but I think it's really great to hear. It's like, because they hear, oh, I got to rent gear. That's usually all I hear all the time is like, I got to pay for gear. It's like, well, first off, you got to pay for people. Mm-hmm. Like artists are entrepreneurs. They deserve to be paid. And that includes crew, by the way, just so you know. Um, it's very much important. Uh, so that's really great that you mentioned a couple things. Like every production is very unique and that, um, you know, short films usually I'll say one day to one week, depending on what kind of shots you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, usually two or three days tops. Uh, but, uh, and how, or how, and how long it is of course too. And Matt, how long the screenplay is. Uh, but, uh, I think it's really interesting. You're talking about just the re, re, using it as a resource. Uh, and yeah, you definitely don't want to end up having them hate you and you hate them. Yeah, as part of the experience, looking back on the experience, going, "Oh, beautiful strokes." Don't let me show. I want to. I don't want to see that movie. Those people. <laughs> yeah, definitely have films like that from the past. You mentioned "Don't Blink Twice." Uh, that was present. It's going to be presented. Um, how did? What did you learn from "Don't Blink Twice" that helped you out making this film? Hmm, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about "Don't Blink Twice" in so long. Um, honestly, I think what we were just talking about, um, spacing it out. Uh, not trying to squeeze everything into one day. Um, the quality definitely tapers off after a certain point. Um, I mean, I, that was so much fun. We made it with like five or six of our close friends. Um, I would do it again. But I think for this one, I was conscious of let's try to like break it up into a few days. So we did a lot of stuff with just L dad where we were, um, filming him coaching, um, Sam, my fiance, was the tennis student in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we spent an entire day just doing the U.S. Open stuff. We spent uh, one day just doing um, the flashback stuff with his son on the, the camcorder. Um, so I think just spacing it out and trying to stay in that sweet spot of doing good work uh, yeah. across multiple days. <laughs> Putting yourself in a place to yeah. succeed is a great thing, right? Yeah. Cool. That's really great. I think it's very helpful for people to hear that too. Um, I'll switch gears slightly um, and congratulate you on the world premiere of your upcoming play. Thank you. That's awesome. I had no idea you were a playwright. Yeah, that's the only play I've written, but I guess I, that makes me a playwright. <laughs> You're like, well, I will be then, not now. But I will be. Uh, yeah. So Cross Band is happening in Virginia, your home state. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this June. Uh, it's like, get, I mean, seriously, getting a play produced is like winning the lottery. Um, very lucky a professional production it's like winning the lottery I don't say a non-professional production is like you know winning like a pick six uh, so so well done and um, so can you tell us about the play and how did this production come about okay uh, Cross Hitch Bandits is a family play it centers around a father who has recently been fired from a lifetime job basically as an engineer and he's a very proud man and it basically is about how he covers up the fact that he's been fired he's telling his family that he's retiring and while the family is planning a retirement party uh, which is actually funeral or wake themed they're going to put him in a coffin and lay his career to rest very like 
goofy party. Okay. He's trying to cover up the fact that he was actually fired. And then along the way, his kids are kind of falling off of the path that he had imagined for them, and he's trying to corral them as well, um, all culminating in it all blowing up in his face, basically, um, the lie and trying to control his family like that. Where did that storyline come from? <laughs> my parents are going to kill me. Um, my dad, when I think it was my mom turned 40, he wanted to put her in a coffin in our living room and <laughs> have our friends read eulogies. <laughs> well, uh, it's very funny you mentioned that because I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you, but not too bad. Not too, not too far away from you. Um, and 40 used to be considered over the hill. I don't know if you remember that term at all. I don't know. I've, yeah. But, but I remember when like my mother, when my mother turned 40, she'll probably kill me too. Um, and she's like, <laughs> they had like an over the hill party for my mom. Uh-huh. And so might as well have been like putting her in a coffin, uh, so celebrating her, you know, you're quote unquote, you're old. Um, everyone raise a drink and good luck to you. Um, so, <laughs> but a coffin, an actual physical coffin, that's a, yeah, that's very in line with my, my father's sense of humor and my mom's reaction is very in line with, with her as well. She was not having it, did not happen. No. Um, and we, we told the story, I'd heard the story many times and then it wasn't until I started dating Sam and she's like, that's gotta be something like yeah. that's gotta be a movie or something. Yeah. And, uh, this opportunity presented itself uh, from Cadence in Richmond to submit a script. And um, we actually submitted uh, a script for a short film because that's the only thing we'd ever written. And uh, whoever at Cadence reviewed the scripts, and I imagine David, who was our mentor throughout the process, uh, liked that. And they were like, we'll give you a shot to, to try to write a play for the first time. And in the brainstorming process is where that that idea came out and David was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, a year later we had the, the play written. Gotcha. So where did David Lindsay Abair come into the picture? He, the artistic director at Cadence Theater Company, um, they were friends, okay. David and his wife, Chris, they were all, um, friends from okay. college. Okay. Yep. So I think he came in to be the mentor for the first round of, uh, Cadence Pipeline. And they're actually doing another round with a different playwright right now. Very cool. Um, I worked with David very, very briefly when I was up at New York Station Film and his show called Ripcord mm. that he did. Um, we worked with like a hundred some odd artists that summer, so I only knew him for like a week when we did a reading of it. Um, but and I'm sure he was delightful. He's... He was the flow of the play. Everything was wonderful and went on to be produced at Manhattan Theater Club, I think, a year or two later. Yeah. Um, but uh, and so, so do you have a theater background? I don't. Uh, Sanam does. She's she's uh, did theater in college and she's an actor. Um, no, not at all. I told them we had our first in-person meeting with the other playwrights and it was just like the most severe imposter syndrome you can imagine. Like obviously David is this incredible acclaimed playwright and these other people have written multiple plays and Sam hadn't written a play, but she's very much in it and she understands how they function. Um, so that was, uh, yeah. Very interesting. And, and, where did, and where did the connection to Cadence Theater Company? Sorry, so many questions about this whole process. Uh, the connection was through the artistic director knowing David and, and Chris. Right, but to you, then, though, it's like, the, the, why Cadence Oh, for you? yes. Uh, so we were in Richmond. Sam was looking for opportunities to act and to get involved with the community, and she okay. started working with Cadence. And then they actually gave me some of my first video jobs as well. So they're like... Our family and so Richmond. At least the, yeah, them. so great. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a familiarity there. That was like the foot in the door. So you knew the company through that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Gotcha. So it was probably 
the the script for the short film that we submitted and just the fact that they knew that we were nice people, I guess. Wow. <laughs> well, and then, well, I tell you what, though, like that's that's part of the gig. You know, when you when I hire people for whatever, it's like the first question is to be like them, because <laughs> if we're not talking about them. Well, and then if we're talking about them, we assume they're talented already. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because the question is, the first question is not, can they do the work? Because you're already talking about them, if you like them or not. So yeah. are they are they cool? <laughs> you know, and so obviously you're that great relationship. And But but yeah, uh, so that mentorship with David, I mean, what a great thing to be able to, I mean, story, just forget screenplay or play whatever. Um, just be able to, you know, have that kind of mentorship for story crafting. I think um, that was pretty valuable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, we did a lot of studying of the hero's journey and I was able to take that and use a lot of what he taught me, uh, in Richmond. I taught a video production class for high school students, Mm -hmm. uh, just through teaching that, like hearing it over and over and over again was so helpful. And he's just such a genuinely nice person. I sent him the script for beautiful strokes. He gave me feedback. I sent him uh, the rough cut. He got back to me about that. Uh, just it's so nice. Insane. Yeah. Well, it's great to have people believe in you and believe in your work, right? Yeah. Well, we definitely do here at Inwood Artworks. So thanks again for being a part of it all. And um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't covered? No. I just really appreciate you having me. I don't think I've been interviewed since like senior night of high school baseball. So this and, has been and what fantastic. Was that? Wait, we have to know. What was that occasion? <laughs> Well, I went three for three with two doubles and five RBIs. So. And did you win? Yeah. Well, there you go. That's all that matters, right? But I noticed how he put his stats before the team win. I tell you something, you know, right? This this guy right here, it's a glory hog. This guy, I'm teasing. No, and rightfully so. Hey, you know what? They win a one without you, right? And did you pitch as well? No. Um, my good friend Nigel was the star of the team, but that was a good night for me. That so was a great night. I for cling you. to that. Well, you should. You three for three, absolutely. <laughs> got to be got to be proud of that. Well, um, we're not the triple crown here or anything, but uh, we're happy to have you here as part of our community. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, you know, before we say goodbye, though, where can people find your work? And so they want to know more about you and what you do. Uh, Burnisonfilm dot com is my website. That's pretty much the only place you're going to find it. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that's all. You don't have to have many. Just one's good. You know, yeah. one stop shop is good. Yeah. So listeners, you'll be able to find that link in the description of this episode uh, when we put it out there. So I want to say thanks again, Stephen, for being part here and uh, for joining me on this Artist Spotlight edition of Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes that make our home here in northern Manhattan. Uh, if you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really does help. Uh, many thanks to Church of a Good Shepherd for hosting us here in Inwood, New York City, uh, and also to HighTouch.com for uptown promotional support. Be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do here, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Alfresco, uh, our pop-up art galleries, and live performances, so much more than that. Uh, and you can support On Air and all of our programming by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc backslash donate. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air.